and what love is not. And so if you're like me, love is one of those words, and we talked about this last week, that we can use for a variety of things. We love the people close to us in our life. We love jack-in-the-box tacos. Sometimes we love to go to jack-in-the-box with the people that we love in our life. And we use love for lots of different things. Maybe we appreciate, maybe things we just like, but love is kind of one of those terms that kind of has a loose idea to it. I asked my daughter this morning, she's six years old, and I, I said, Katie, what, what does love mean to you? Getting all deep. It was like right after breakfast. It was kind of early. What's love? And she just looked at me. like It's kind of like when you do nice things for people. I said, okay, you pass. You pass the test. But, you know, for kids and adults alike, we, we kind of have a vague sense of what it is. And so the good news is, as you look in the scriptures, a lot of times things that become vague or things that may be blurry and you can't quite see it clearly, the, the scriptures has a way of bringing that into this clear picture. And that's this idea of, of seeing love in high definition, seeing it for really what it, what it is, how God has defined it. And last week we looked at love matters most to God. He actually describes himself as love. This is who he is. This is what flows from his very nature. He was the one that designed it. He defines it. And he shows us what it looks like. And so he really is the author of love. And so it helps us as we get to know God and as we dig into the scriptures, this idea of love becomes clearer to us. And so we're going to dig into 1 Corinthians 13 where we left off. But before I did do that, I wanted to kind of give you a review of the verses that we read last week. Uh, this is starting in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And this was written in the context of a church, a new church that was, had all sorts of different gifts and people were kind of you know, getting to this comparison thing like, well, God's given me this ability, God's given me this. And there was kind of this infighting that was going in comparison. And, and Paul, who was that church starter, said, you know, you guys are focusing on all the things that you can do, all the things that you can say, all the things that you know. But what trumps all of that is, is love. You can do all this stuff, but if you, if you, if you don't have love, according to the scriptures, you, you're nothing. And that is such a strong statement. And so this idea of love is, is crucial to our understanding of how God works in us, how God works through us, and, and really how he works in the world, because God will op always operate within love. It matters most to him. And so we're going to look at verse 4 today and focus down on that. Verse 4 says, and I'm just going to start with the first part, love is patient and kind. Now, if you're like me, doesn't that sound like the beginning of a Hallmark card? You know, you buy it and you just love is patient. Okay, I like where this is going. And so it, it kind of has this like, well, that just sounds like too good to be true. But this is such an accurate picture of love. Love is patient and kind. The word patient there in the original language in Scripture, it was written in Greek. And it, it means to exhibit internal and external control in difficult circumstances. So external you can show patience, 
by the faces that you make or the body language that you have. And internal, you can show patience by the thoughts you have about people or the thoughts you have about what's happening to you as circumstances unfold. Now, if you're like me, that's kind of like, well, I like the idea of just patience. When you start talking about external and internal control, that's where it gets a little more tricky. Even yesterday, I'm hanging out with my kids. And if you're like a parent of young kids, you're just one step away from chaos. Doesn't it seem like? And at the same time, you're you're always just one step, just you, you feel like you're just, stop it! No noise! Ever! You find yourself thinking that stuff. And then, you know, your kids look back at you like, well, I'm like four. And then you look at them like, I know, I forgot. I do that all the time. I don't exhibit this internal control because I'm just thinking, I can't take this anymore right now. And it starts to, you know, you're, you're inside and you, you get that cabin fever. But it's the same at work. There's just certain people you work with that they just, they get to you. The words that they say, even just their mannerisms. And when they start to bother you, it seems like everything bothers you. They walk in, hello, the way he said that. Right? It just kind of flows and it gets to us. And we all experience this. Southern California driving, remember that? Patience, merge. My wife and I, we have this kind of joke about like what yielding is. See, yielding to me is like you go and they yield to you. Her yield is I stop and I yield to them. But where I'm from, you go and you just hope they don't hit you. See, I don't have patience really with driving. And I struggle with that. A lot of times, like, something bad happens, and I'm usually thinking, what were they thinking? Well, you went into their lane. What were they thinking being in that lane, right? But it's patience. The second part of that is it's kind. Uh, Really, the word kindness there is, is you're useful. You show yourself useful to people around you. When I'm relating to people, most of the time, I'm not thinking how I can help. I'm not. I'm natively selfish. I'm usually thinking, what am I going to get out of this interaction? Or how am I going to get out of this interaction, right? But kindness is, how can I help this person? How can I be useful to them? How can I actually bless them? That's kindness. You're thinking about how you can be a benefit to their life. This idea of kindness applied to speech, like if you speak kindness to people... The word literally is like a smoothness, not like you're a smooth talker. We all know smooth talkers, salesmen of some sort. It's not that. It's actually a smooth where you don't have jagged edges. As you relate to people, they don't feel like they've hugged a cactus. You ever hugged a cactus? I fell into a cactus one time when I was growing up. It was in the middle of a sidewalk. I don't know why, but I was looking across the street And I fell right into it. And I'll never do that again. That's like not my weekend like hangout time. Let's go jump in a cactus. It's very painful. But people that aren't kind in the way that they speak, they have this cactus prickly feel to it. And so this idea of love is is you, you have control over your thoughts as you relate to people as they're getting to you. You know, okay, letting them have it does not help them. And you tell yourself that. Or being agitated and just giving them this dirty look, 
That doesn't help. That's not patient on the outside and the inside. And then kindness is, how can I speak in a way where I'm, I'm getting rid of some of these jagged edges? And these jagged edges can just be in snappiness, frustration. We want to show kindness to each other. But again, sometimes as you look at these positive attributes of love, what really becomes apparent of what it is is, is when you look at what love is not. And the beauty of this chapter in the scriptures is, is that it keeps looking at this is what love is. Love is patient and kind. And then it goes on to what wages war against it. And the next part of that verse in verse 4 is, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. Envy is a major enemy of love. It wages war against it. Love does not envy. So you have this picture of it's patient and it's kind, but then it goes a step further. You actually do not envy people. And so if, if, if love is kind, envy, envy is not kind. Envy's thinking, why does, that ha- why does that person have what I want? And how can I get it? Envy comes from the, the Greek word zeloi, which is where we get zealous. But it has this edge of jealousy. So it's like a zealous Jealous. You're zealous to be jealous. There's this, just this passion in you to get what other people have. And it kind of drives you and it consumes you. And you go down a path of where envy leads where you're looking at what people have. And we're going to look at kind of the different ways that we do that. But it just, just gets under your skin and you compare. And this stuff starts flowing down this path. And it gets us to a destination where we don't want to go. Because envy destroys relationships because it short-circuits patience and kindness. It destroys. There's a pickup here I want you to see. We could throw that first pickup. Anyone know who that is? That's Gollum from Lord of the Rings. So you didn't know we were going to go, you know, we're going adventure epic right now this morning. Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Gollum's a character that in the Lord of the Rings story by Tolkien, he, he wants this ring. He, he got this ring. He actually murdered to get this ring. He lost the ring, and his life's goal was to get this ring back. And there's a, there's a little clip I want you guys to see as well. That's actually, let me, that's Gollum. That's the same guy. This is kind of before, this is right as he found the ring, okay? What's great about this story is Go back to the other picture. That's what envy does. We could just end the message right here. Okay, go to the other one. Before envy, go to the next one. After envy. It's like band comes up. Let's take next steps, right? But that's the picture. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, okay, that's kind of extreme. If I wake up and I look at that in the mirror, I know, okay, got a problem. I'm going to take a step back. But what, the, what Tolkien did, which is great in this story, is it showed on the outside what happens on the inside of envy. You may not be able to see it, but it actually does that. It transforms you. It, it turns you really to this, this zealous jealous. You could see that. There's a little clip here. This is really just to kind of freak you out, but it's fun. My precious. 
right? All week I was looking for different clips and throughout the office you'd hear this and you're just kind of, you know, freaking out a little bit. But the word that he uses for the ring is my precious. And that is a great description of envy. There's things that we want so bad they become precious to us. And we strive to get it. So I want to look at some kind of major categories of things that we envy. First is we envy status and significance. Someone has a, a title, a job, a responsibility. They have influence and, and we want it. We think we deserve it. We think that we've done enough to get it, but we don't have it. So the person that has this status or significance in a group, we want it. You see this in families a lot. Different siblings, jealous of other siblings. Or uh, you see it in, in work relationships. Somebody gets a promotion. And somebody feels slighted because they thought that was theirs. And so this, this title that people long for can really drive you to envy the person that has it. Uh, stuff is another major category. Someone has a new car, a new house, new shoes, whatever it is. And as we notice those things, we're like, wow, that's really nice. All of a sudden, our car doesn't look as good as it did. Our house kind of looks old. And then the shoes that we're wearing, we're like, you know, these are kind of worn. As we look at what stuff people have, and then we look at our own, stuff we have just doesn't look as good anymore. And so we get into envy, like, man, that's, that's what I want. What they have is, is what I want. The, the last major category is success. This is kind of related to status and significance, but we all have kind of a picture of the progress we should be making in life, like where we should be. It could be the goals that we have, career or family. And if we're not where we thought we should be, we're not as successful as we thought, like in our, like we're not as successful mother as we thought we should be, or a successful father, or in the workplace, whatever it is, there's this part where we envy the success of others, because they seem to have arrived at the goal that we want. So status, significant stuff, and success, these are all precious to us. Now, we're more sophisticated. We're not going to be like Gollum and start looking at that and just, precious. You know, you won't have any friends, right? But it does go on within us. There's this drive that we have. And the thing about this that happens on the inside is we start to look, and as that starts to be the focus of our attention, it's really a wrecking ball to our relationships. It destroys them. We don't see people for really who they are. We see them for what we can get out of them. Or we're just so jealous that we just stop relating altogether. There's just a part where this wall is there. But it's, it's a wrecking ball. There's a, another clip I want to show you of a wrecking ball. Because I don't see wrecking balls much. But this is a good picture. You could put that up there. How about that? It's like an event. Get the popcorn, watch a building go down. You know that's successful, but it kind of wasn't because did you notice that the crane with the demolition actually got taken out? When you're the demo guy, you're like, oops, that was too good. We destroyed everything. 
But even that is the accurate picture of envy. See, what, what tends to happen is as we go after these things that people have and we focus on them and this, this zealous jealousy builds within us, it doesn't just destroy the relationship. It destroys us. It really does. It takes us sideways. It takes us down a path where we're no longer thinking through the things that we need to work on in our life. We're no longer thinking about how we're a blessing to others. We are down a path where we are just comparing and driven. And all of us deal with this. There's just a part in which it's, it's there to a degree, and depending on how much we feed it depends on how much it grows. And there, there's help. There's true help that, that we can have. I want to take this a step further. James 3.16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. See, growing up, I didn't really take this idea of jealousy seriously. I think, you know, I was jealous of people, and it was kind of like, well, I I, got to get over that. What the Scriptures are saying is jealousy isn't just something that's not really good to do. It's actually talking about this picture of disorder and evil. The word disorder there is, is literally like chaos. And jealousy there in James 3.16 is the same word used for envy in 1 Corinthians 13.4. Same word. Love does not envy and then jealousy. Same word. So when you, when you focus on this and this becomes kind of what you're going for, Chaos breaks out. And it leads to irritation. It leads to being bothered. You don't want to cut people slack anymore. In like a neighbor relationship, just they're doing some things that, that bother you and they seem like they have it all together and they're this perfect family and when something goes bad, you know, you don't really want to help them. It really does short circuit, envy short circuits, patience and kindness. And we we, we become reckless in our thoughts. We don't really see people how God sees them. I want to turn the corner to really the, the hope that we have, where this isn't just what we have to focus on, where we can get the help that God gives. And that is when we focus on love, love gains the advantage if we stop envy before it starts. This is where the Bible is so helpful because we're not just left like, okay, envy's chaotic. Envy can destroy us from the inside out. But it actually gives help for what do you do when envy comes? What are the steps you need to take? And the key is to stop it before it starts. You need to recognize when it's starting And then you focus on something else. So let's look at that a little bit. We're going to go back to James chapter 4. And it says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. There's a key word there, and it's called coveting. And what happens with coveting, it's, it, it starts with desire. You desire something that you, that you want, and you may long for it. Not that you just, well, that would be neat, but there's this kind of longing like, I really would like that. I'd really like that new gadget. 
I'd really like that new car. I'd really like that new house, whatever it is. And we all want stuff. We do. If we get Christmas money, usually we're thinking, what can we buy with the Christmas money, right? And that's good. We get money, we can buy stuff. But this is kind of a picture of this, this longing that takes it a step further. Coveting starts when we notice that someone has something that we want and we decide that we should have it. So you see desire and then desire leads to coveting. It's another step. Exodus 20 says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So you may feel good because you're thinking, you know what? My neighbor didn't buy an ox this year. Right? What he's doing is basically saying, okay, let's start here. You don't want to covet your neighbor's wife or any of his help or any of his stuff. He's just kind of throwing out all these relatable kind of identifiable items as just from relationships to stuff. You, you don't want to covet any of this. Because it takes you down a path you don't want to go. Desire leads to coveting. Then coveting leads to what we've been talking about. It leads to envy. So it starts with desire. The desire moves to seeing that people have what we want. The longing goes to why do they have that and I don't. And then before we know it, that jealousy starts. And that's where we get to, to envy. This is where resentment is. You resent people because they have what you want. It's further than the desire. It's further than the coveting. That's when it goes into full-blown envy, when, when there's resentment. And just like that picture of Gollum or a virus, it just spreads and it, it, it takes you down. So we have to stop it before it starts. And this is where love overcomes this coveting and this envy. Because God gives us this love that actually overpowers Love wins if we trust God to give what we need. This is where we have the ultimate trump card. We have God who says, if you go my way, if you do life the way I've said, and you put your trust in me, there is nothing that you want or even that you long for that will overcome the love that I can give you that is better than the love that you can have. So God's love is the ultimate trump to our envy and to our coveting and to these desires of longing. He gives us exactly what we want. A lot of us, when we envy or when we're jealous of people, we're focusing on the person. Like we have a problem with the person. The truth is when we are envious and we begin to covet, our problem's not with the person. It's actually with God. not with the person because God has all power to give us exactly what we want any of the time. And so when we don't have, our problem is with him. And so when we displace it and show this jealousy towards others, we're actually not dealing with the source of the problem. God wants us to take this desire and this longing for things that we don't have. And he wants to show us that through him, you still may not get exactly what you want, but he will give you 
a better feeling than that thing ever would, a better life than any material possession than any other relationship can give you. He gives you the help that you need. James 4 takes us a step further. So what causes quarrels and fights? It's because we covet, we want, but we don't have. And James 4 says, you do not have, verse 2, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So if you want to win this battle with envy, as soon as those longing feelings come up where you want something that you don't have, you bring God into the equation. And it may be silly, you're thinking, I don't want to ask God for this. This is just, I, I don't need this. And, but just bring him in the equation. God, I would really like this, whatever that is. And you ask him to give it to you. He's God. If he wants you to have it, you'll have it. And if you don't have it, he didn't want you to have it. That's just so hard. Because we just, we long for stuff. And I have a certain timetable. And God hasn't checked it. It can be frustrating and daunting. But there's maybe some things that God doesn't want you to have. Does that not sound, like that's like anti-American. There's stuff that you could want that you can't have. Are you kidding me? What is that about? But it's true. There may be stuff that, that you don't have that you will get eventually. But that's not on your timing. That's on his timing. And this is the picture of faith. Faith is, God, I trust you to do what's best for my life and for the big picture of what you're doing in all those around me and in the world. So God, I trust your yes, I trust your no, and I trust your timing. That's what faith is. When you really want something, you don't have it, and you don't know if you're ever going to get it. That's what faith is. And at the end of that, saying, God, I trust you. Years ago, my, my wife and I, we were trying to get pregnant, and it seemed like it was taking forever. And we got to the point where we didn't know if we were going to be able to have kids. And at that time, it seemed like all those around us were having kids, were having more kids. And there's just that part of which there was this hollowness inside. Like, what if, what if that's never us? And man, it was a real faith test for me. It was, it was hard. I, I remember just thinking like, God, I, I really want kids. And then I started painting my life like, what, what would it be without kids? I had this whole picture, like my future, like the investment I was going to make. And I had to come to the point where I said, I don't know if this is ever going to happen. And I remember just that just kind of feeling of that, that hollowness and the emptiness and the, just the, the fight 
to think the right thoughts, to think the truth, that God still loves me. And then I remember coming home and I went to the bathroom and there was a pregnancy test and I was so mad at my wife because I thought, why did she leave that there? We can't get pregnant. That just shows you my state of mind. Why would you leave that there? So I went, what, what is that in the bathroom? She says, did you look at it? And I'm thinking, I've never seen a pregnancy test in my life. I don't know what that means. And, and she said, you know, we're, we're pregnant. And, you know, despite the fact that I was so rejoicing, I, I think I said, like, are you serious? There's still that part of this, this battle, like I wasn't sure it was going to happen. And it was probably, maybe it was too good to be true. But this is, this is the, the faith step. And now we have three kids later, and I look back and I, and I say, you know, praise be to God. But you know what? The faith that, that I experienced in that time when I didn't know, I, I've actually never experienced that same kind of amount of intense trust in God as that time. So that time was actually a sweet time. Before we knew the answer, my faith was tested. And this is where love became real. Because I knew God knows what I can handle. He knows what I need. He knows my family. He knows everything about me. And and it's up to him. To what I get in life. I need to do as much as I can. I need to be diligent in every area of my life. But, it, but it's up to him. And that's the picture of following Jesus Christ. You, you have an open hand, and there's things that you want. There's things that you long for. You don't know if you're ever going to get it. But there's a key to this. It's not just the, the absence of envy. It's actually a choice that you make. When people have things that you don't want, there's a key step. And it's to stop comparing and start celebrating. Stop comparing what you don't have compared to those around you. And when they get what you want, you celebrate with them. That is love. That's kindness. And that's patience. Everything in us, when people get what we want before we get it, we're not thinking, let's throw a party for that person, right? There's one party we want to throw. It's the pity party. We all do that. Like, oh, that just that really stinks. Because I really wanted that. And it can be in the big things, it could be in the small things. We have to stop comparing and, and we start celebrating. This is really where the love begins to flow. Because what you're saying is, God, I have all. I need. I want to encourage you this morning. You have all that you need. There may be some things that you could get that would make life easier, 
But God is a God that takes care of his children, and you have all that you need. If you don't know God, as you enter in a relationship with him and the forgiveness that you get, and this new life that unlocks for you as you do life his way, you have all you need. You have the significance you need. You actually have the status that you need. And God will provide you with all the stuff that you need. And that's where the church is involved. Because if you don't have it, God will use us to help you. That's the picture of love. So I wanted just to encourage you. There's, there may be some things that you've been thinking in your head. And you just kind of let get away from you where just that jealousy is. You may not have told anyone, but you know it's there. I just encourage you, recognize that before God this morning. Just tell him. I've been comparing and I haven't been celebrating or I've been just just driven by envy. Confess it to God. And then ask God, God, I really want that. If you provide that, that would be great. And if not, I trust you. That's the picture of how this all unfolds. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy. So I just wanted to encourage you as the band comes up, we're going to walk through some next steps. Uh, the first one isn't on your connection card. You'll see some next steps on the back there, but I just told you the first one. Maybe it's just reflect, take some time to think. Is there any kind of area where this jealousy or this envy or this longing for something that you want is there and, and just confess that before God. Uh, you may want to memorize James 3.16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. You know, tell that to yourself as that jealousy starts. Remind yourself that you're entering a path that leads to chaos. And it won't be beneficial for those around you. It won't be beneficial for you. The second, this is kind of an application to celebrate with somebody. Write a note or make a call of congratulations this week. Is there someone in your life that they've just got a blessing? They've been given something, they've been given a promotion, whatever it is. Take the step to celebrate with that person. See how God uses that to encourage you. And then the last three, uh, the first one is, if you've never committed your life to Christ, like I mentioned, and just this, this picture of the path of chaos and jealousy and envy, if, if this is a path that you, you don't want to be on, Maybe you've tasted it and maybe you're on it and you realize it just takes you to the destination you don't want to go. Jesus has another way. And if you commit and make him the boss of your life from going your own way, confessing that, he will unlock this new life. So if you need help learning what that means, you can mark that on the connection card. And the last two are for those Discover classes that I mentioned in the announcements. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the fact that you watch over us, not in a general, distant way, but you know everything about us. You know our thoughts, you know our longings, our desires. And God, we, we want to bring you in as we're battling. We want to bring you into the process of when we just want the things that we don't have. And help us to see, God, when we've turned the corner into jealousy and when we've turned the corner from there into resentment. 
And God, we, we want to be a blessing to those around us. We do want to be kind and, and patient, and it's just so hard. So we, we ask for your help, that you will, you will give us the strength in just practical ways that, that we can do that. So we ask for your help in this, in the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.